This is So What Does Judaism Say About? Where all sorts of life's interesting and amazing challenges are discussed here in the relationship with Judaism. I'm Rabbi Rick Fox. With me, as always, is the athletic Rabbi Mayer Beer. Rabbi Beer, how are you doing? Fantastic. <laughs> how did you know I was a star center on my uh, high school basketball team? You know, just actually not true, but <laughs> just a guess. We're running out of adjectives. Today, you know, we have Rosh Hashanah coming up, you know, if you're listening to this podcast when it comes out. And, you know, Rosh Hashanah is this concept of new. I think today we should discuss what does Judaism say about therapeutic change, about renewing oneself? Yeah, so this is, this is a really important topic, pertinent to this time of the year, but pertinent to any point in a person's life when they feel a need to change. The word tshuva is often translated as repentance or penitence, which is a pretty poor translation. It conjures images of, uh, you know, whipping yourself on the back or, or, or you know, paying off some religious uh, guy to, to, to buy out the impact of your sins. The word shuva comes from the word shuv or shof, which means to return. So a person wants to adjust, wants to correct their ways, wants to change themselves. There's this shuva process. So it is really the act of changing one's negative behavior. That's going to be an internal work that one does. Now, sometimes situationally, you avoid situations as part of what this we'll call this therapy, this idea of changing yourself. But primarily what we're looking to do is to change. The concept of tshuva, the Talmud writes in uh, Tractate and Dharam, is something which is so fundamental to the world. It is so essential that this concept exists that it was created before the world was. The... Uh, the uh, Rabbeinu explains what this means is that this was like a prerequisite to the world as we know it existing, that this concept, this ability should exist. And as such, it has this very large, import, you know, it's, it's this really important idea and it bears a very large relevance to our lives. I like that. I like that word prerequisite. Just thinking about that collegiately, it's right. It's like you want to study some sort of advanced molecular biology and that's your world you're going to go into. So the prerequisite for that is going to be a whole bunch of, of classes and ideas that have to be in place before you can begin that process. So here we are, human beings in the world. In order for us to understand the world and live in it, this concept of teshuva, of returning, of, of being able to better oneself, has to already be operating and up and, up and running before we even get here. Yeah, sure. So there's 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 two points to this. I'd like to quote from the... the uh, Basel Kim, a, philo a philosophy book written in the 16th century by Rav Moshe Mitarani, where he writes, number one is that we, as Jewish people, but really humanity as a whole, have a lot of responsibilities. And it is, it is understood that there are people who are very well-intentioned that are not going to perform as well as they should occasionally. So ha to have the ability to refresh yourself is really important so we don't get pulled down by that negativity that we may have found ourselves in. And number two, on a deeper level, there's a concept that when a person acts inappropriately, behaves inappropriately, what we'll call sin, that that has an effect on the person. It, it starts defining you. And the having an ability to kind of remove that baggage when you're looking to move forward is part of the process. So you want to, you know, the, the, uh, there's, a, there's a quote from the Talmud. The Talmud tractate Rosh Hashanah says that God says, I, I am with the person before he sinned, and after he sinned, if he goes through this process, essentially, you can really get the relationship back, your spiritual relationship with God, to the point where it was before you've done whatever you're 
regretting having done. And that ability to like reboot yourself is is essential to to being able to to progress for, further. You could even hypothetically get even higher post a mistake with your relationship with God if done properly. Correct. The mm-hmm. the the Talmud actually says that a person that sins and then repents in the most ideal way, and as it, it it turns it transforms his sins into good deeds. That doesn't mean we should go out there and make. <laughs> no, <laughs> quick! It's almost our show. Let's go do a bunch we, of mistakes. We don't quite have a formula for that. But the idea that you can propel yourself forward from your mistakes now has your mistakes being viewed as a as a vehicle or a catalyst for change. Yeah. So that itself becomes a positive force. Yeah. That's that's the reason you changed. So therefore, it it catapults you beyond where you were before. Right. So that is a and now a helpful spiritual uh, act that you've done. Right. Although, if you premeditatively do that, it won't have that effect. Right, because now, as Rabbi Tatz always says, you've now schlepped your teshuva into your mistakes. Don't do that. Right. The Leave Tom, teshuva out of it. The Talmud has an expression that if a person says, I will send and repent, I will send and repent, it doesn't work. Just say you're succumbing to your base nature and move on with your life. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, this, this is a system which you cannot actually game. So what, what is this process? How does one, you know, correct oneself? How does one, you know, change? How, you know, what is the therapy process of going through this? So Maimonides writes in the Laws of Tshuva that the, uh, the, you know, the idea or the goal of a person who's changing is a person who is Mishana Shemo, a person who changes his name. I'll finish the quote. Kolomar, meaning to say, Shani Acher, I am a different person. I am not that person. You have the ability as a human being to become different. You can create internal change that makes you not the person that did that activity. So it's not that, that you know, I'm just kind of saying that this is not something that is proper behavior. I'm literally a different person. I am a person that doesn't do that anymore. It's like instead of the little kid who says it wasn't me. It wasn't me. You're like, it wasn't me. It legit, it literally wasn't me because I'm not that person. Correct. Yeah. But part of that process means that you have to disassociate yourself from that person. And, and therefore, and this is something which the major works on Chuva all point out, that if you say like, okay, go, going forward, I'm not going to do this. But it was kind of fun that I did it. You know, it was a good time. It, it's just, it's not really worth the collateral damage. So I'm going to stop doing it but you don't disassociate yourself from having done it, you still have a connection to that, that behavior. If you were dishonest, you were crooked. You know, like, you know what? My family doesn't appreciate this. I might end up in jail. I'm going to lose investors if I keep doing that. It's just not worth it. Like a mob boss who eventually starts a real company. Right. But it's it, no good. <laughs> you have to really disassociate yourself from the personality that found that behavior acceptable. Right. I now view being a thief as an abhorrent activity. That's, right. that's just bad. Right. Now you're a new person. I am, I am a person with an, an honest core. And now you're actually changing yourself. And by doing that, using the, this power in the world called tshuva, you literally become a different person and you can now be removed from the negative effects of, of the past. But that will require a real internal change. That's really powerful. That's really powerful. So how do we change? How do we go about doing this? This is this is clearly not going to be uh, just the uh, the flick of a switch. And when we say change, we I assume we mean lasting change, things that actually yeah, make, sure. a, make a long term impact on how who do we, we are. become that new person, so to speak. Right. It's not not that we're hungover and now we're vomiting and we feel really horrible about it because it's gross. But as soon as I feel better, you know, we're back. You, you know, you're back at the uh, at the frat frat party again. And we're saying about we want to have lasting change. 
So this point, the Maral gives a, a really insightful you know, idea into the human condition, which is that the, the Maral writes that the reason why tshuva exists and is possible is because human beings are not purely intellectual and not purely cerebral. We're emotional. We're a composite of emotional and intellectual components. If human beings were purely intellectual and they chose intellectually to do that which is evil, that is the definition of who they are, and there would be no way to reinvent themselves. But because we are also emotional, because we are also physical and have these you know, non-intellectual parts to ourselves, when we make a choice, we can harness our emotions to literally recreate our internal selves. It's an amazing thing. We, we are going to use the emotional aspect of us, which makes us human, in order to, to actualize change. I mean, that's how we make decisions. I mean, the decisions are made through the passions and the excitement of being emotional. I mean, I've never, I've yet to meet a smoker who, you know, you knock the cigarette out of his hand and you say, what are you doing? Are you crazy? That's terrible for you. And he goes, I had no idea. <laughs> no, they, they know it's terrible for them. And yet the emotions overcome, the you know, that, that's a very human experience. So taking your point precisely is how you would come to balance that is if you feel really terrible about it or it makes you feel gross that this is what I've done. Like, I just feel dirty um, because I'm, I'm doing something that's harmful to myself or harmful to other people. That's just like an emotional, like, you know, I just don't feel like I'm, I'm good. And you say that, but I want to feel good. I want to change my you know, emotional reactions. You can recreate yourself. You can reprogram yourself. And change your name, change your essence, right? right? So the, the, James Clear, who wrote this book, Atomic Habits, which is a fantastic book about how you actually change habits, he, he makes this exact point. I, I see he got it from the Talmud, right? And where, where most good things come from. Exactly. He says, you know, somebody who's quitting, who wants to quit cigarettes, shouldn't, when offered a cigarette, shouldn't say, no thanks, I'm trying to quit. He should say, no thanks, I don't smoke. Because you're, the essence change, I'm a non-smoker. How do non-smokers make decisions is a very emotionally powerful thing. You know, being a non-smoker who slips up is a much more powerful way to change than to be a smoker who's trying to quit. And just taking your example to, to another, another similar idea is, is in diet. You know, I think that if a person viewed themselves as being beautiful, eating that, that donut might just be below my dignity. It's not, you know, being rational and saying that like, well, I know car the cardiovascular effects of eating saturated. No, that doesn't work. I told you you're athletic. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, beautiful people take the stairs. There you go. I learned that from you. You know, I, I see it's you staring at me, pressing the elevator button, and I say, okay, and I because beautiful people hit take the stairs. Yeah, it's, it's, elevators are for freight and, and people without self-esteem, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just too many stores in the building. You're in a rush. But yeah, you, you have this idea where it's just like you're kind of harnessing that emotional part of you to create this identity that doesn't view that as being acceptable for a person of my stature. You know? and, and that's a real way to, to, to create like an internal change. There's a, a, a line in the Talmud, once we're quoting Talmud, which really gets to this point. The Talmud writes in uh, Tractate Brachos on page uh, 12b, uh, a teaching of the name of Rav Chinana, uh, that anybody who does a sin and then becomes embarrassed from the fact that he's done that, then that person will have an easy time being quote-unquote forgiven. The idea being is that if, if you're embarrassed about your behavior, you're really disassociating yourself from that. Yeah. I, I really like, that was me, that's not me. I'm not that person. I'm not that kind of person that does that kind of thing. And you literally become a new person and then your slate can be wiped clean. So there's no like magic formula to this. This is really an internal therapeutic process where you're changing yourself. 
And, you know, when we're in, when we're looking to the start of the new year, so say, you know, we're, we're discussing this, uh, you know, pre-Rosh Hashanah, pre-High Holidays, but, you know, this idea is really relevant at any point in, 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 in a person's life. But we find in the beginning of the new year specific practices, a specific mitzvah, which really targets this idea. And that is the shofar. Have you uh, ever been to a symphony and heard somebody below a shofar? No, but I did hear a story that I think they pulled this off once in some assimilated country where they were, it was forbidden to blow the shofar and they worked it into the symphony so the Jews could hear it. You know the story? I've heard variants. You know what I'm saying? It's forbidden to hear the shofar, so they create a symphony, and then at one point during the music, on Rosh Hashanah Day, they pause and <laughs> they get up for the trua. It's amazing. You're going to have idea. to kind of work that out. But yes, I've never, I've never heard a, a shofar at the symphony. You're gonna to have to work that in the way you know some rock uh, rock groups you know fire off cannon in the middle of their concerts. Oh, that's that's what we have to do. Yeah, because it's not it's not a very like harmonious noise. It's it's a it's a it's jarring. It's a jarring noise. It's exactly. Jarring. And and Maimonides writes that you know he says this is from the third chapter of, of the Laws of Tshuva, and he says that that you know the blowing of the shofar is a mitzvah, which the Torah writes. But the essence of the mitzvah is to create a feeling of a need to change. And Rabbeinu Bachai says that sound is the is the vehicle that we can that is most easily used, the tool I should say that is most easily used to change emotions or to create an emotional state. So we have this wake up call. It's like an emotional alarm clock where we're jarring ourselves with this like unsettling noise. hundred percent to get into that mode. It, it's the it's the it's the um, it's the score of tshuva, right? You, movies are the greatest example of this, right? There's nothing more emotional, you could say, in terms of its pull than a movie. And without the, that score has to be just right. You know, if you watch a scary scene and the music with either no music or ridiculous like music, it doesn't go. So that music is so emotional. That's how we get, that's how we get ourselves in the correct feeling. Wow. Yeah, so th this idea, I think let's just take one step further. The Talmud describes how the blowing of the shofar on Rosh Hashanah confuses the Satan. So, what is the Satan? Who is the Satan in, in the Jewish tradition? It's not a it's not a fallen angel. Is it a parking attendant? <laughs> it's the valet who takes the car forty miles an hour over the speed bumps. <laughs> no, the Satan is the force in the world, which is which is the source of a person's desire to do that which is not proper. So, a person is tempted to do things which, in their you know, logic, no, are, are, are incorrect or improper, but, you know, has this lust or this desire to do it anyway. Be it, you know, failings in, 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 in you know, in a person's financial dealings, in their relationships, and their relationship with people, or their relationship with God, whatever it is, that temptation is caused by this force. It's not a fallen angel, but it is, it is a force created by God to make, to give a person, you know, this set of options, so to speak, to choose. So the blowing of the shofar, as the Talmud writes, confuses the Satan. What does that mean? So the Satan is is an angel. The angels in the Jewish tradition are these, you know, purely like pure logic. They're these spiritual, metaphysical creatures that are are are, you know, they, they don't bear no resemblance to the human experience because they're devoid of emotions. They're devoid of emotions. So when we harness our emotions to um, to create change, that is something that these beings have no understanding of. So the sounding of the shofar, if we're if we're harnessing it properly, will arouse within ourselves something which confuses the Satan. So the mistakes that we should be accountable for are something that the Satan can't process, 
when we are reinventing ourselves. And that reinvention is something that the Satan doesn't, doesn't you know, can't conceptualize, being as it, it's like this, you know, the sentient, you know, metaphysical, you know, creature or, exi- or, or, or existing entity, whatever it may be. But this is something that beyond that of the angels, this is something that's purely human. And only we know what that is. There's a line we say in the, in the, in the morning prayers before the Shema, where the prayers describe the, 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 uh, pr- the angels praising God. And the, the line is that the, the angels are mashmi and biyura. They hear or they process the, the word or the, the desire of God with year, with awe, with fear. And there's no mention of love because angels are not capable of love. Love is a human emotion. They're not human. So these ideas, like if a person would start to love to do the right thing, that is a reinvention of their internal moral compass and beyond the comprehension of an angel. That's very powerful. That's very powerful. So the human experience, as we all know, is, is, is so emotional. And I think we've spent the last you know, 2,000 years attempting to squash those emotions. You know, Europe, American, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I think that the idea that really to enact change on ourselves and what Rosh Hashanah calls for and the mitzvah of the shofar of blowing that beautifully jarring, awing sound is to is to arouse what indeed makes us human. And that that human aspect is what itself enables us to change and develop and grow. I don't think there's anything more inspiring than that. I think that is just phenomenal and the, and the best way to, to think about change at any time, particularly now for Rosh Hashanah. 